Today we're going to be in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. I thought about, um, just like I said earlier, wow, Lord, so much going on in the world. So many people that are hurting. And, uh, you know, there's part of me that wants to address all the different issues and, you know, try to help people through their grieving or whatever it might be. And, uh, and I guess like the Lord just ministered to me and he said, you know, you just need to give him Jesus. You just need to give him Jesus. You know, Adrian Rogers, he talks about Jesus and he says this about Jesus. You know, he says, Jesus sees right through you. Jesus sees through you. You guys know that? But did you also know that Jesus sees you through? He does. No matter what you're going through. You know, um, what we're going through as a nation, what we're going through in this, you know, pestilence or whatever you might want to call it, you know, these governmental mandates and so many that, that are passing away, so many that are discouraged or depressed or anxious or suicidal, I mean, you name it. And, and I just realized that ultimately my job as a pastor is to point you to Jesus. Remember when Paul went to Corinth? Now, Corinth was a very educated place. And, you know, he probably, he's right off the heels of Mars Hill, you know, had been in the Areopagus, probably very, you know, eloquent, quoting from poets and things like that, but not a lot of fruit there. And so he just went to Corinth and he said, you know, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because I know this. Some of you here, maybe you don't know the Lord, and you need to, first of all, start that relationship with Jesus. But then some of you do know the Lord, and you need to grow stronger and deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Because ultimately, Christianity is two words. It's very simple. Jesus said, follow me. That's what we need to do. And so, not following man, the Father points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. And that's why it's such a blessing to be able to study the Gospel of John with you because it really is all about Jesus. And so um, I want to teach it very simple. We're actually going to cover a lot of ground as we go through. Um, I'm not going to share a whole lot. I was thinking this. I don't know if you guys ever really pondered this. But when they wrote the books of the Bible, like, for example, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, or whatever, even the Gospels, you know, Paul would tell them, read the letter. Just read the letter to the church. Now, I'm sure there was expounding. I'm sure they got in their groups and they talked about things. But for the most part, you know, I think it's good just to read it and we'll touch on things as we do. But we got to be careful that we don't go um, and make it too complicated. You know, as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at chapter 1, I realize this. And those of you guys who are Christians and teachers and some of you guys know so much, you realize this, that theologians will never touch the bottom. We never will. We're never going to get everything out. The Bible's so amazing. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, as we go through, just because of that, you know, Lord, help us just to understand what it meant to its original recipients, what it means at face value. And so as we go through, um, we'll, we're not going to cover everything. We'll read everything, but not cover everything. If you have any questions, ask Pastor Mark. He's up here. He knows what's up. <laughs> 
Um, I'm serious. You can ask people, you know, hey, what, we didn't really cover that. What does that mean? That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but hopefully we get the main message because the Bible is all about who? It's all about Jesus. And he sees through us, but he will see us through. We need to draw near to him. And so before we dive in, a couple of things real quick. Some might ask, why are there four Gospels? Well, it's because they present kind of a well-rounded view of who Jesus is. Matthew presents Jesus as king to the Jews. And that's why when you read the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of scriptures uh, that are quoted there because the Jews had the Old Testament as their authority. And so it's written to the Jews, presenting Jesus as king. And you see it all throughout the Gospel of, of Matthew. And then Mark presents Jesus as servant to the Romans. And so writing to a Roman world where there were 60 million slaves, they could definitely identify with this Savior who they see as they read through Mark is such a servant. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when you read through Mark, you just see Jesus serving immediately everywhere. And so, you know, Matthew writes to the Jews, presenting Jesus as king. Mark writes to the Romans, presenting him as servant. Luke presents Jesus as man to the Greeks. And so the Greeks elevated the humanities. Jesus was the perfect man. But it emphasizes his humanity And that's why when you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see a lot about Jesus' prayer life and a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit. Because let me ask you a question. How many of you here are human? I'm just curious. (laughs) We're all human. We're just human. And we are fighting supernatural demons and lies. We need to pray. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that throughout the Gospel of Luke as he's writing to the Greeks. And then the Gospel of John, he presents Jesus as God to the world. And so you're going to see that. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, I don't know for sure, but do you guys, what what would you say is the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever will believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you see that as you go through the Gospel of John, you see Jesus presented as God and how God wants the whole wide world, how God loves the whole wide world. There might be some here today or maybe watching online and you don't realize how much God loves you, but he does. He loves you as if you were the only one to love. And we need to know that because I believe that that, really changes us when we are convinced of that. And so when was it written? Who wrote it? Well, the Gospel of John was written by John the Beloved right around 90 AD. So it was written, well, 30 years after the other synoptic Gospels. And John, he identifies himself four times in his Gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so after service is kind of cool, I was talking to one of the brothers and he says, hey, Manny, I want you to know that, you know, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. And I said, hey, you stole that line from me. <laughs> and we both stole it from John. He, he's like the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I believe, as I, uh, I you know, have studied this for many years, that, um, that that's really one of the things that changes us in life when you realize 
You're the disciple whom Jesus loves. And I think that when that sinks in, it really, it makes us healthy Christians. John may have been Jesus' best friend on planet earth. Because remember, Jesus had the 70, then he had the 12, then he had the three. But even in the midst of the three, it seemed like John was the closest. You know, he was the one leaning on Jesus' breast. He was the one that Peter even would go through to talk to Jesus. And so uh, you read about John and, you know, this guy at one time was the son of thunder. He wanted to call fire down and destroy Samaria. Think about that. But eventually God got a hold of his heart in such a way that he became really known for love. That was the thing about John. And you read it in all of his letters. And that's why he's referred to as John the Beloved. When you read the Gospel of John, you're going to find it's a lot different than the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. About 90% of the Gospel of John is unique material. And that's probably because, again, like I said, it was written 30, 40 years after the other Gospels. He figured, okay, all those things are covered. Um, Let me tell you some of the things that you haven't heard yet. And so you're going to see it is a a blessing. One of the blessings about this Gospel is, is the the seven I am statements. And so here's the thing at the end of the day that I got to tell you, whatever you need, whoever you need, Jesus will be that for you. Like if you need a comforter, if you find yourself one day and and Jesus said, I am your comforter. You need a friend? Jesus would be willing to say, I am your friend. You need a provider? Jesus will be willing to say, I am your provider. I am... Jesus says, whatever you need in life, a counselor, I mean, you strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's why when you go through the seven statements, the I am statements, they're significant in and of themselves, but they also represent that fact. As we go through John, we're going to see how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And, you know, bread satisfies us and sustains us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the whole world, we're going to even see it today in our text, is in darkness. Darkness. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to fight the darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the door in John chapter 10 and verse 7. The door to what? The door to heaven. The door to life. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 11, he's the good shepherd. And we know that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Aren't you guys glad that the Lord is your shepherd? Isn't that cool? You know, um, he leads us beside the still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. I mean, he's with us, anoints us, takes care of us. He's the, the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. After all, we don't just need a savior to help us when life gets hard. We need a savior to help us when life ends. And he's the resurrection and the life. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we're lost, he shows the way. When we're lied to, he gives us the truth. When we were dead in our sins, and some of you here, you remember that. You might remember when you were spiritually blind. I mean, we were dead, and he gave us life. I remember before I was a Christian, people would tell me things about the Lord, and they would just fly over my head because I had no spiritual comprehension. I didn't understand spiritual vernacular. And that's because I was dead in my sins. But he came in and he gave me life. And not only that, we're going to see in John chapter 10, verse 10, it's the abundant life. And so we see John 14, 6, John 15, 
in one uh, in verse five that Jesus is the true vine. And so if you can visualize like a vine and we're the branches and we're just plugged in and as we're plugged in to who? Jesus, then we will bear fruit. We'll bear moral fruit and ministry fruit. And so when you go to the Gospel of John, uh, you're going to see that he doesn't use the word miracles. He uses the word signs. 17 times you read it in the Gospel of John. And these signs, and it's interesting, there are seven signs mentioned in the Gospel of John. They're not publicity stunts. They were actually manifested to reveal his glory. And Lord willing, we'll see that next week. You know, as we look at how he changed water to wine, how, you know, he raised the dead, how he healed the lame and the blind, and there's seven signs. All the signs are intended to point us to Jesus. And that's what I want to do. And that's really, whenever there's a, a miracle, it's always intended, you know, to point us to Jesus. Because he loves us, and there is this life that he has for us that is just so beautiful. You know, he gives us his mission statement in John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so that's why he wrote the book, I Want People to Get Saved. You know, you look at people who are walking on the streets and doesn't your heart just go out to them? You know, you have my cousin, she's there on a, oh man, you know, on a, on a, she's in a coma and I'm wondering how she's doing and does she know the Lord? My, my, my Thea's, you know, my siblings uh, uh, that are my half sisters, you know, do you care? Do we really care? That's why he wrote the book. I wrote this so that you can believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so um, it's going to be cool, you guys. Let's start off in John chapter 1. And we read in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so if you've read the other Gospels, you're like, whoa, this one starts off different. This one goes all the way back to the time before time. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But this one goes back even before that. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word is logos. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God. And at the same time, the the word was God. Now, real quick, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you know, you got to take yourself, what did John, when he's writing this, to the Jews and the Gentiles, to the Jews and the Greeks, how would they perceive this? What does he mean in the beginning was the word? Well, the Greeks had the mentality of the logos. And the logos in the Greek world was the one that held everything together, that kept everything, all the universe in order. And so that's how the Greeks saw the word logos. Now, the Jews, to them, 
that they what does it, you guys know what what language Jesus spoke primarily you guys remember the passion of the Christ Aramaic so the Jews had a translation of the Bible it's called the Targums now in that translation the word a word is memra and I hope I don't lose you but just if you can follow me just for a second whenever they translated the Old Testament into the Aramaic and whenever they came to a time a transaction where God was close to men where God was like talking to men, where God was intimate with men, they would use the word memra, which is word. And so if you can put those two thoughts together, in the beginning was the logos. Well, how would they see it? The Greeks would see it as the one that held everything together, that kept you know, everything in order, this amazing God. And the Jews would see it as God close, God close to us. And that's what John is now writing and his audience would understand it. In the beginning was the word, the logos. But the word was with God and at the same time, the word was God. Now that's interesting because he's with God and yet he's God. Is that two gods? Well, we believe, you guys know, huh? It's the doctrine of the Trinity because there's only one God. And so that's when you begin to realize all the Bible teaches, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, all equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. And so you start realizing that as John, as he's writing about Jesus, man, he, 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 he right away says, listen, I want you to know who we're talking about. We are talking about God. As a matter of fact, in the original language, there was an emphasis. Uh, the Greeks were able to do it with their prefixes and suffixes. They were able to put a certain emphasis on a particular word. Like for us, if we're writing something and we want to emphasize a certain word, we might bold it, right? We put it in bold. Or we might capitalize it. Well, they're able to do the same thing. And so for them, the, the emphasis is on that word theos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's how you're supposed to read it. And that's exactly how John starts. He wants us to be able to go back and see that Jesus was there in the beginning before time began. The one who who died for you is God. The one who's with you is God. The one, like I said earlier, he sees through you, but he'll see you through is God. The one that we can grow in a personal relationship with is God. And as we read through this, it's amazing. One other thing before we leave that word logos, guess what English word we get from that Greek word, logos? Logo, you're right. We get the word logo from it. And so um, you see the golden arches, what do you guys think? McDonald's, and you get hungry, right? You see that little check mark right there on the sweats or the shoes, what do you think of? Nike, right? There's, There's a logo and in, in one sense, if you could kind of see it that way, Jesus is kind of like the logo of God. He is the expression of God. He is the articulation, the manifestation, the declaration of God. And that's what John is saying here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and nothing was made that wasn't made by him. Think about it. We read in Genesis 1 that he spoke it into existence by the power of his word. The Hebrew word is bada. It's not from nothing. He spoke it all into existence. You know, here we see that Jesus is the life 
and Jesus is the light. And so as you go through the Gospel of John, these are things that he emphasizes. 47 times you'll find the word life as opposed to death. And when we find 24 times, you'll find the word light as opposed to darkness. Now, when you think of darkness, what do you guys think? Think of darkness? Think of evil? Think of the devil? Think of hell? Right? Think of not being able to know where to go because there's no light to travel, you know, to show you your way. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light, and we're going to see it. And then we get to reflect that light. It's kind of cool what we read next in verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And so we're actually going to see as we go through the gospel that the first 18 verses are kind of introductory verses. And uh, and then when we get into 19, he really just kind of like tells it how it happened, right? And so he mentions John the Baptist right here, but then right away, you know, John came, but he wasn't the light. You know, Jesus, we're going to see, like we saw earlier already, he's the light of the world. And so John came to bear witness of the light. If I can just pause just for a moment, all of us came are here to bear witness of the light. Not us. We're going to see later when they came to John, they're like, hey, who are you? I'm nothing. The one who's everything is Jesus. He came to bear witness of the light. This is the true light. And, and so, you know, again, we're going to see it a lot today, you guys, that our mission in life, I just want to point you to Jesus. I just want to point you to Jesus. I want you to grow in your relationship with with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to follow Jesus because I love you and I know that he has amazing plans for you and you will only realize those plans if you follow Jesus. And so when Jesus came, and we're going to see how it all works, they didn't know him. He came to his own and his own did not know him. That's the Jews. He was a Jew. They didn't receive him. Generally speaking, the Jews did not receive. They have not received. Not yet. They will one day, but not. But he says, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Right? And so, um, John, I'll tell you what. Have you ever met a person where they are just consumed that people get saved. Have you ever met somebody like that? Like that they just, 
I know John Chacon's mom, Daisy, she's like that. And others, I know, they're just like, that's their life, their life. Their heart beats for people just to get saved. It's amazing. Everywhere they go. You know, Pastor Rawls, the same way. I remember traveling with him, and he's just, you know, handing out tracts and doing his little things. It's, it's amazing. That's John, John the Beloved. He's sharing right away as many as received him. So what do you do when you receive something, you guys? What do you do? When you receive something, you make it your own, right? This, I, I, I could offer you something, and now you receive it to yourself. Now it's mine. Well, Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave. He offers himself as my Savior. And if you believe and receive him, then that's what he's talking about right here. Then we get this right to become children of God. You know, Carlos, I remember, had said this, and other people have said this over the years, because sometimes we wonder about our kids, and sometimes, have you guys ever heard this? They have to disown their parents' faith in order to find their own. And that's what I'm talking about, our own. If you receive him as your own, then we find ourselves with that right to become children of God. Now, is that sound pretty cool to you? Just curious. Does that sound pretty cool that you can become children of God? How many of you here are parents? I'm just curious. How, do you love your kids? Not everybody raised their hand. Let's see here. <laughs> no, you guys know that, man, the love that you have for your kids is absolutely indescribable and so deep you would lay down your life a million times for them. Well, you are the children of God. 1 John 3, 1, it says the same thing. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. That's what happens when you believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us that authority. We're we're born again. We're going to see it in John chapter 3, verse 3. Not born physically, but when we're born again. And so here John talks about Jesus being God and then he talks about kind of like salvation and and all that amazing privilege that we can have when we believe and receive. And then he kind of goes back to Jesus being God again. Notice what we read next in verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's of higher rank, for he was before John the Baptist. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And so the Word, we talked about it, how he was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And verse 14 now says, and the Word became flesh. And we're getting ready to celebrate that on Christmas, right? How Jesus was born. Even prior to that, he was conceived within the womb of Mary. But think about this, if you would, for a moment. The one who spoke everything into existence, who made and maintains the entire universe, who knows every single star by name, who 
created them and maintains them, the one who knows all of us, our thoughts, our hairs, our, our hurts, our, our tears, he keeps them all in a bottle. The God of the universe came and he walked on planet Earth. If you're ever wondering, well, what's God like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And you can think of all the awesome things about Jesus that really, I think they comfort us. Huh? Doesn't it comfort you to know that he was a friend of sinners? Doesn't that comfort you? Because how many of you guys here, you're, you're sinners, right? I know I categorize myself as a chief of all sinners, but he's my friend. You know, Jesus was compassionate. You know, Jesus was, you know, he played with the kids. You know, hey, I'm not too busy for them. I mean, when you look at Jesus and the love he demonstrated and just the humility that he had, the beautiful person that he was, he is a reflection of God. That's what he says. No one's seen God at any time. But what we find in Jesus Christ is that he has shown us who God is. You know, when you think of Moses and you think of the Old Testament, you guys, you know, this was the law. And so you read, you know, the the writings of Moses and the Old Testament, and it was a lot of rules and regulations. And they're good because they kind of restrain us, right? We need those laws, but that could never save us. That could never save us. As a matter of fact, the law was just to kind of prove the fact that you can't really keep the covenant. You can't, you know, do all those things. It would prove to you that you're a sinner because God said, do this and a million other things and you can't hold up. You sin against God. And so that would drive you to your need for a savior. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth have come through who? Jesus Christ. So we live in a world of lies. I have my truth in Jesus. You know, we live in a world, and even with a mentality that says you have to earn everything, you have to be good enough. And I realize now, you know what? I've, I, I fail in every way. I get these thoughts that I hate. I, I fail in so many ways with my wife and my kids and my friends. And, and then I, sometimes I just look at myself in the light of who God is, and I just despise myself. I'm like, Lord, this wretched man, that I am, how could I possibly experience anything good in life? And the Lord says, by grace, by grace. It's this undeserved favor. You will never earn it. It is something that God gives to us. Even though we deserve hell, he gives us heaven. Even though we deserve bad, he lavishes us with good. That is found in a covenant and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as John begins the book, like I said, verses 1 through 18, they're all kind of like a prologue. They're all kind of like an introduction. He kind of sets the, the backdrop with that beautiful truth, you know, as he's pointing people to who Jesus is and how he wants us to be saved and to know him and this life of amazing grace that we can have in a personal relationship with him. And so, you know, he starts off in verse 19. And notice what we read here in John chapter 1. And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, I'm sorry, I messed up. You guys are going to tell me when I mess up, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> All righty. Verse 19. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, Well, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And then they said to him, Well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am, and this is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John knew who he was. John the Baptist knew who he was. The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. In other words, get ready because the Lord is coming. As the prophet Isaiah said, now those who were sent were with the Pharisees and they asked him saying, well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so the religious leaders, they sent representatives to John at, you know, to question him. Hey, you didn't go to our school. We don't know who you are. You know, what are you doing? Who are you? Why do you baptize? And John just responds out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, said that the forerunner would come, you know, before the Christ. You know, he, he, they were expecting Elijah. You know, they're expecting, you know, the prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And John says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not those. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, get ready because the Christ is coming. And how many of you guys can identify with that? That's who we are. That's who, we, that's who you are. Your voice. Your voice crying in the wilderness, telling the world, telling your family, telling your friends, at least you should be, telling them that Jesus is coming. The Lord is coming. Make straight the paths. You know, clear it all out because, you know, the Lord, the king in those days, whenever a king would visit the, the, the town, they would get rid of all the, you know, trees and they would straighten out the roads and fill in the holes and stuff because the king was coming. I mean, imagine if Jesus came today. If he came today, would we be ready? That's kind of what John is saying. And he's telling everybody and he's baptizing you know, and that meant that you got to turn from your sins. You got to, old man dead, new man rises up. That's all he's saying. And you guys, I, I love this for so many reasons because I believe that we are living on the edge. I believe that the Lord is at the door. You need to be John the Baptist. If you're a girl, you need to be Joan the Baptist. <laughs> If one thing, if I can get one thing, number one, get saved. Number two, fall in love with Jesus. Number three, tell others. Tell others. Because he's coming. We're nothing special. None of us are. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. I can't even begin to imagine what amazing dude he was. You know, the clothes, the camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy was amazing, you know? And, you know, but, but he was nothing. He said, I'm nothing. All I do is baptize with water. Men, we're nothing. 
But there comes one mightier than I whose sandal strap, I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And and what is it? It's just pointing people to Jesus. A lot of times Christians don't do that. A lot of times pastors don't do that. That's our job. And then what you do with it, you have a choice. You know, you have a choice whether or not you're going to follow through with that, with the direction that we give. Say, hey, you need to know the Lord, and so you need to start reading the Bible, and you start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You need to start learning and listening to God. But that's our job. We just point people to Jesus. These religious leaders, it's just so sad to me. And yet it's so common, the religious leaders did not know God because it had been 400 years of silence. But that happens a lot. You know, to be honest, and I don't know what you guys thought about this, but recently I guess our president met with the Pope, right? And so the Pope supposedly is supposed to be like, you know, whatever, the descendant of Peter, God's representative on earth, so to speak. And I wonder, I mean, just how could they meet How could it come out the way that it did where they're talking about what, climate? Oh, it's okay for you to have communion even though you are advocating for the slaughter of innocent children. Yeah, it's okay. You're good with God. What a liar. And he is the Pope. Think about that. So for us, realizing these religious leaders coming to question John the Baptist, let me tell you guys something. It doesn't matter who's ordained and all that kind of stuff and this, that, and the other. God is the one who ordains. And so for us, we're nothing. We're nothing. I'm nothing. But you do have a voice. You do. And with that voice, we have to love people. We have to love people. We have to tell them that you need to repent and get baptized. Not, you know what I'm saying? Not necessarily water baptized, but turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and don't play church and don't play games. John, that's who he was. He was just a, a point man. Look at what we read next. Verse 35. Well, actually verse 29, huh? You guys got to help me out here. (laughs) The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came, baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so this is just how it went down. John gives us the introduction, the prologue, and then he talks about the day that, you know, John the Baptist was baptizing, the religious leaders came, and then he explained more or less from the scriptures, Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, who he was, the forerunner to the Messiah. 
And apparently what had happened was John, you know, had heard the voice of God saying, you need to go baptize. And one day as you're baptizing, you're going to see someone come. And that one day you're going to see the Holy Spirit descend upon someone. And he will be the one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And so John's out there. He's doing his thing. Uh, Theologians tell us that there were like tens of thousands of people that came from all over the place to go and be baptized by John. And then one day he sees him and notice the first thing he says about Jesus. You guys notice he says, behold, what does he say? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you read that right there, it's just so beautiful to see because Jesus is identified as the lamb of of God. Clearly a reference to the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 verses 11 through 13. It tells us about what would happen. You guys might remember the whole story and when the Jews were in bondage and slavery in the oven in the furnace of Egypt with no hope. I mean, they were going to die there in that place. But what happened, God came, he sent the plagues, and he completed the job with that Passover lamb. And he said, you take the lamb, you slaughter the lamb, you take the blood, you put it on the doorpost on the lintel. And when I send the angel of death, who's going to come and kill the firstborn from every family, if there's blood on your home, then the angel of death will see it and he'll pass over. And that's who Jesus is. I mean, really, when we um, see a new believer get saved and we tell him, hey, read a book, we take him to the Gospel of John. Why? Because it's so simple. It's so simple. You believe in Jesus, you come to Jesus and believe and receive him as your Lord and Savior, then he will take away your sins. So now when God looks at you, he sees no sin. You're imputed with the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so John, when he finally sees him, hey, there's the Christ, and there's no doubt about it, you know, because I, I don't know if he knew like all the ins and outs of theology and soteriology and all that kind of stuff. No doubt it was a word from the Holy Spirit. There he is, the Holy Spirit's descending on Jesus and he tells everybody, behold, don't just glance, gaze. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. The Bible even says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And so Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He also baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? If I can ask you, you know, like, do you have a hunger for God? Do you have a thirst for Him? Do you want to serve Him? Do you want to study your Bible? Do you want to pray? If not, you might need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I pray if you don't have that, that today... You don't leave without that power because we need that. You know, John the Baptist was a point man. Look what it says in verse 35. And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? You know, they, they wanted to come 
and they wanted to spend time with him. More than likely, this is Andrew and John, but we know for sure it's Andrew. And so Jesus said to them in verse 39, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And again, you guys, when we're seeing this, we're just realizing that John, you know, very significant prophet, but at the end of the day, he was just pointing people to Jesus. And the next day, you know, he's pointing people to Jesus again. Behold the Lamb of God. But finally, this time, Andrew, what does he, what does he do? He, he goes to Jesus and John. They go to Jesus and they start following him. And then Jesus is like, well, what do you want? And they're like, hey, where are you staying? You know, can we hang out with you today? And I tell you what, if you're not really hungering after the Lord, maybe just try that. Say, okay, I'm going to spend a day hanging out with the Lord. You know, I'm going to go and maybe get away from others and maybe get in the Bible. And I want to spend time with Jesus. And then what ended up happening is they spent time with Jesus. They were convinced that he was the Christ. And then after they spent that day with Jesus, it says that Andrew went to get his brother Simon. And he says to him, we found love. We found life. We found the Savior. We found the Messiah. We found the Christ. I found him. How can anyone hold that to themselves? I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but I just got to say this. If you're not sharing Jesus with other people, maybe it's because you don't really have him. Because when Jesus comes into your life and when you find him, the Savior, the lover, the forgiver, the creator, the one who came to our world, when you find him, how can you hold that to yourself? It's impossible. I am convinced and I just know and it breaks my heart that a lot of people come to church who don't really know the Lord. I'm concerned because, you know, you can go to church. It doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. You have to come to the love of Jesus Christ. You have to be a real, true, blue, committed follower of his. When, when they experience Jesus, Andrew, and they just, I got to tell my brother. I got to tell him. And so, you know, Peter comes to Jesus and then, you know, Jesus sees Peter and, you know, I'm sure Jesus saw like all the, the things that Peter would do wrong. Like, oh man, this guy's going to be putting his foot in his mouth all the time and he's going to say things and he's going to rebuke me and he's going to deny me. But what does Jesus say? He says, hey, Simon, you know what? I'm going to change your name. You're going to be Rock. The Rock, that guy, he shouldn't have that title. Peter deserves that. He's a, Jesus gave that to him, right? The Rock. And what we find is that the Lord, when he looks at you, he sees the potential in you. He sees the potential. And I want you guys to know that. I pray that you would know the amazing plans that God has for your life. 
Peter did go on eventually to fail, but he got back up. He dusted himself off. He went through the back door of success, and he became the leader in the church on the day of Pentecost, preaching those sermons. Thousands were saved. What an amazing God that we have. And so we see it continue in verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Notice again, that's what Christianity is. Follow Jesus. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Almani? <laughs> of Nazareth. And Philip said to him, Come and see. That's all you got to do. Come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or guile. I mean, apparently Nathanael was one of those guys who were sincere. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we don't know exactly what happened there, but how many of you guys have seen the movie The Gospel of John? I'm just curious. Okay, if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, see it. I mean, it's a great movie. But in the movie, it pictures Nathaniel looking up to the Lord and kind of seeing like, a, 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 I don't know, the Lord. And apparently there was like an, a, a, an exchange, in the movie anyways, there was like an experience with God. He knew something special was there between him and God. And now when Jesus says, hey, Nathaniel, I saw you there under the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, whoa. He's, he's just like blown away. And notice what he says right there. He says, how do you know me? Jesus answered before uh, Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He said to, to Nathaniel, You know, you, you're convinced at such a small miracle? Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's just beginning. And, and let me just close by saying this, like for some of you here, maybe you're new Christians and, and it, is, it is a pure, like new beginning. You watch what God will do. Amazing things. But even for those of us that have been Christians for a while, I believe that God has something new, something great, something awesome. I mean, God does these little miracles, um, but what we find is that he's got these amazing things that are going to blow us away. You know, I, I remember just throughout the years, the different miracles that God has done. Little miracles. Have you guys ever experienced little miracles? You know what I'm talking about? The other day, the women had a study, and uh, it's just one of those things. One of the ladies in the congregation, she won a prize. And so what ended up happening was uh, she started sharing her testimony a little bit about what she had been going through. And apparently she had been going through some difficult times, but another sister, uh, I don't know, it has to do with work, 
told her Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And Lord used that scripture to minister to her. And so she's sharing with the ladies, you know, her testimony. And then um, my wife is up here. She's like, okay, now you need to open up your gift. And so the, the gal opened up her gift and it was a journal and it had Psalm 46.10 on there. Be still and know that I'm God. You guys are supposed to go, ooh. <laughs> you, you missed it. Isn't that, isn't that a trip? To me, that's like, okay, that's a little miracle. I remember praying for this lady and she had this crazy fever and it went away like that. It was a little miracle. I remember one time my son lost his iPod. We couldn't find it anywhere and he was getting mad and I got this vision in my mind of exactly where it was. It was over there against the, the wall behind the bed. I saw it in my mind. Little miracles, so many over the years. But man, you ain't seen nothing yet. You want to know why? Because this opening between heaven and earth, this resurrection that we have, angels ascending and descending, all that kind of stuff, you guys, that's ours. That's ours. And so I pray that we would know that. Um, I want to give you guys a homework assignment this week. I want you to find out who God wants you to find. And I want you to bring them to Jesus. Now you're like, well, Manny, I can't bring them to Jesus. What are you talking about, Willis? So you might be saying that, right? Um, I would just say this. Um, because sometimes people think, well, I can't lead anyone to the Lord. I'm not a pastor. I'm not ordained. I'm not in, I don't know enough verses. Believe it or not, and I'll tell you guys this, sometimes you can reach them a million times better than someone like me because they know you love them. Let me just ask you a question. Who do you love? There's got to be people in your family, in your neighborhood, at work that you love. And so this is what you do. Okay, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Find out who God wants you to find and then lead him to the Lord. Now, you can even lead him to salvation because we read about how it happens. You can invite him to church, but you can lead him to the Lord. And so I just know Jesus is coming and I pray there would be an urgency. You know, this Thursday we have uh, fasting and prayer and I am convinced that God wants to do a good and new work. Today we have communion. And it's kind of cool because it goes hand in hand with, you know, even though I fail, it is still my desire. If you can hear me. I just want you to, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know him more. He'll bless you. Yeah, he sees right through you. He does. But he still loves you, and he will see you through, no matter what you're going through.